This is Thanksgiving, and we're going to have a Thanksgiving dinner if you would like to stay following the service. And what we do is we break down the sanctuary and set up white tables, round tables, in about five minutes. It's kind of fun to watch. And at the same time, all those that have children will go first and uh, go out and retrieve your children and then get in line, and then all of us will follow behind you. Boy, it's good to see you. You know, every Thanksgiving, we slow down and remember, you know, one of these one of these days, you know, you, you won't be here, and there'll be people that'll follow behind us, still giving thanks for what God has done. You know, I had a dream, and it wasn't true, but I had a dream and uh, that, that Gwen died and went to heaven, and when she got to the gates, Peter was there and said, uh, well, you're almost in. And uh, Gwen says, well, what do I need to do to get in? And Peter said, well, you need to spell a word. What word? And she sa- Peter says, love. She kind of put a smile on her face because she's much better reader or speller than me and said, L-O-V-E. He said, well, come right on in. And Gwen kind of stepped a little lightly and he said, wait just a minute. I've got to run and get something. Could you man the gate just for a few minutes before I come back? And, and she said, well, sure I would. So in the dream, I died and went to heaven. And I, I got to the gate and I went, "Woo! I made it. Gwen, we made it. And she goes, not so quick. <laughs> well, what do I need to do? And she said, you need to spell just one word. I said, oh. She said, the word is, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> Dream, not true, not true. This morning, I'm going to complete, or at least come to a conclusion of possibly, maybe, kind of, sort of, because God might let me preach some more on this and through the next weeks to come, but on the subject of hope. And, and I've been sharing on the message of hope is here. And how hope is such an important factor in our Christian walk. And again, as we are maturing, and not just going to church for 10 years and thinking, boy, <laughs> i got 10 years experience. Sometimes we only have one year experience, 10 years in a row, because we've never developed what we've learned. And somebody said this one time, and I thought, wow, that's, that's true, is that we're overeducated beyond our obedience, We know what to do, but it comes to a place where we have to take the step, and sometimes it's even over our threshold of pain where we go, ooh, I don't, to mature, you've got to say, okay, God, I I can't really see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, but by faith, I'm going to receive what you have for me. And as we do that, we see, you know, that God is smarter than we are, and that he directs us in ways that maybe we wouldn't have chose, but in the end, he's always... There to, and, and when we read or sang that song and you read that the blessing song, you realize that our worship team didn't invent that song and come, hey, here's some good words. But that's in the scripture. That God is for us and he's not against us. He, he has a, a future for us and it's not just a, well, I hope so. No, it is a plan, a good plan for you and I. So when we're talking about hope, and all of us, we realize that when we become believers in Jesus Christ, that we're not promised, so to speak, a rose garden, that we will never have problems. And and a lot of times we feel like when we go through life, you know, that either we're coming into a storm or we're kind of in a storm or we're just coming out of a storm. 
And as Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Some people want to just stop and talk about it and discuss it. And you know, man, I tell you what. It's not how hard you can hit, but how hard you can hit and keep going. So this morning when we're coming to this place and we've talked about hope, and and hope is the beginning, it is the essential element of having faith. Because to have faith, it's being sure of the thing you hope for, and it's certain of the things you cannot see. But we wouldn't it be easy if we just could, if God said, just walk by sight. Whatever you see, just do that. But see, God says, no, no, no. If you're going to trust me, there's a time in your life that's coming that you're going to have to have faith in me. Not just to provide fire insurance for hell. Not just because you can spend eternity with me, but that you trust me as Lord of your life. To put our hope in God, let let me tell you this morning, is hope is more than just a wish. Because so many times we hear the word hope and we think of, what do you hope for? Well, I hope I can put a coin into the bubblegum machine and I can get a bubblegum out. It's more than a wish. It's looking at the Word of God and realizing that God has given His promises, but the promises, even though they are yes, our hope is that we're able to walk it out by saying amen, so be it in our life. Sometimes somebody else is walking it out and we get to the point of saying, why why is it happening for them and not for me? God says it is for all of us. I'm not short on favor. I'm not short on blessings. It's not that I just have so much and sorry, your turn's going to have to wait. This morning, I want to show you a a passage of Scripture that has helped me. And as this series, Hope is Here, it's a spiritual discipline that will move you from the first year of being a Christian or the second year or even a third into maturity Because it's an element that is left out of so many times our Christian walk. And this is the missing element of hope. It is the discipline, and I say discipline because we know that I can motivate us all today. Rah, rah, rah. You can hear a speaker and get motivated. But it's up to each one of us to have the discipline to carry it out on a daily basis. And it's a discipline that I often, again, like I said, refer back to myself because I have to do this constantly in my life. And it's called the discipline of remembering. The discipline of remembering. Now this morning, if you're like me, the first time I heard that, wow, that is good stuff. Until I went through a season of despair. When I said, why didn't you take notes? Why didn't you put something out there that you could recall when this came into my life? And I had to go study some things that I had learned early, so I encourage you to listen today. Because as we go through this sermon, there's going to also be a caution to avoid in learning this discipline of remembering. This morning, I'm going to give you a Psalms, and we're going to read it. It's not very long, and this sermon, I don't believe, is going to be long, and don't hold me to that. 
But at the same time, as we get to a place at the end of this service where we're going to eat together, and if you choose to eat or not, what we're doing as a church body, a church family, is we're slowing down, eating together, and remembering the goodness of God. The Psalms that I'm going to read is found in Psalm 77 in a few seconds. It's considered, you know, the Psalms of remembrance. It begins in despair. And maybe you can recall a season in your life if you're not there right now. When you were in despair, you were thinking, you know, I, I have so many things that could be going right, but it's just not going right for me. I don't know where you're at this year, but if you're in the place where you're in the middle of a storm or you see that you're coming into a storm, this is something that will be right on your frontal lobe. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you're coming out of a storm, don't take it for granted. Because you'll use it then when it comes again. Now, am I saying that you're bound to be in a storm? I'm just saying that a lot of times that we're in the world, but we're not of it. But we do know that as we go through the times that we are breathing on the face of this earth, that we're going to find all kinds of difficulties, but we can still rejoice in the middle of it because we know who our God is. In Psalm 77, the author, the author is uh, the person called Asaph. But we don't know if he actually said the words or if he just transcribed, which I believe he did, David's words. David is someone that I can't talk about very long or I begin to preach about David. That's how much I love David. So this morning I thought I would say what David said in Psalm 77 and maybe you can identify as this, these words come into your ear. Listen. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress. I sought the Lord at night. Stop. Why is it always early in the morning and at night that seems to be the heaviest? Do you remember when Goliath would come and hurl insults at the children of God in the morning and at the evening? This is where David is at night, he says. I stretched out and untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. In verse 3 it says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, and I remembered, so again, he's recalling, it's becoming something important in his life. He says, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject me forever? Will He never show His favor again? Has His unfailing love vanished forever? Has His promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has He in anger well withheld His compassion? Now that's pretty heavy, isn't it? But I don't know if David ever really realized that 2,000 or 4,000 years later that we would be actually listening to what he's saying. Aren't you glad that your words when you're going through despair isn't told to your friends? Well, it's not told to your friends, are you? You're not telling it to your friends. But you can hear the heaviness. There's a turning point that happens because here he is in the middle of this and he's, he's writing this down or, or as if his friend is writing it down for him and, and he gets to a turning point. 
So I want to remind you this acrostic, and, and you can write it down, you can take a picture of the screen, and I want you to remember, when it comes to hope, it's not just when you're doing well and you're hoping for something even better, but sometimes it's in the middle of despair that you realize you need to hold on, pain ends. Anybody else besides the two amens can agree to that today? Ooh. In a few minutes, I'll tell you how my pain ended in one season of my life. See, the despair of this first part of this Psalms turns in verse 11. And he makes a conscious choice. And I want to repeat that. He makes a conscious choice. He begins to recall all that has been done. He says, oh Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. But in verse 10, he says, then I thought to this, I will appeal the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Are you ready? Verse 11, circle it in your Bible, uh, highlight it in your phone. Listen, it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. See, previously in the first 10 verses, you don't hear, he says, I'm recalling, and do that, but he makes a conscious decision to act. Sometimes it's a little act, but faith without works is dead. He is making an action with his faith that says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. He says, yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Listen, I will consider all your works and meditate, meditate, meditate. Remember how the Word of God in Joshua says, do not let the Word of God leave your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. See, there's something about having the Word of God inside of us, and once it's inside of us, it comes outside of us. And so here's David, he says, I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. Previously, he's meditating on, will God ever be for me? Will he do it again? Now, am I making fun of David? If I am, I'm making fun of myself. Because if I'm not careful, I fall right back into that. So I have to practice, sometimes beyond my pain, to practice what I preach. I'll meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. Anybody love the word redeem? If you don't know it, look it up. It'll give you happiness. He redeems us. He redeemed your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Now the event. This is important. As we're learning a spiritual discipline, remember, then there's an event that he recalls. He says this, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you, and they withered. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. See if you know the event. Here we go. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Listen to this. Though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
There's a discipline here. The discipline of remembering. You, you and I can feel the deep desperation that he's in. But in the remembering, there's, that's the part of the transformation. And when the transformation begins, we don't even really realize it, but there's a day coming when things come into our life that people go, whoa, 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 just a minute. You're not like you were back there because now something's happened and that didn't throw you off track like it used to. It's, it's like a, the right tool. Gentlemen, do you know what I'm talking about? Not just being racist or prejudiced here on women, men, but you know what I mean? If you, if you know tools... You know what I'm talking about. There's nothing like trying to do something with the wrong tool. I used it the other day. Trying to screw or to turn a Phillips head with a regular screwdriver. Huh? Anybody? Or a pocket knife or a knife. Bruno goes, yeah, I, I did that too. Yeah, I did that. There's nothing like going to your toolbox and getting the correct tool to do the job. This is a tool that helps you when you have the discipline of remembering. The moment that you're in despair, I'm not talking about when you're on top of the mountaintop and you go, let's hope to go to another one. I'm talking about when you're in the valley going, oh my goodness, how am I going to get out of this? And for some of us, you might have been here all year. Good news. The discipline of remembering, of stopping and quit looking because you're in the middle of the hell that you're in. Keep going. Remembering. Remembering. Sometimes we get to the place where we go, I, I, I don't have anything to be thankful for. And let me tell you, if you're a person that I'm trying to encourage and you refuse to be encouraged, stop it. <laughs> You know as well as me, there's times when you don't even want to hear somebody trying to encourage you. So before you get there next time, decide in your mind, I'm not going to have a closed mind to that. The hardest thing to open is a closed mind. Please be encouraged. Please, John, you're okay. Don't talk to me. I want to be depressed. No. Sometimes if we just sit down and start looking at what we can be thankful for. Watch this video. Lord, I'm struggling. Show me what I have to be thankful for. Yeah, eye-opening video, right? You know, it's something about the act of remembering gives us the ability to shift off of the problem and onto how big our God is. And just like David sees that giant, but he knows that his God is bigger than the giant. Where everybody saw the problem of the giant and heard the voice of the giant. But God was with David because he could hear. David could hear and he could hear the promises saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This morning, in the matter of hope, I want you to remember that you can look back on your life and see how God has brought you. I encourage you to do something that some of us are uncomfortable with, and that is journaling. Now, let me bring to your attention that if you have a cell phone, <laughs> 
You have the ability to go to an app. Well, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. Learn how to do it. I give you permission. Well, I'm 75. It don't matter. You can learn. And you go to an app that says my journal. You can, they have a, how many free journals? Even though you've got a million dollar house, I, I can't pay for that 50 cents journal on the app. Get over it. Pay for it. You'll always have your cell phone. And if you don't want to do that, get out pen and paper. For all of you of the new generation, that is the thing with ink in it. And write down when God does something in your life. Now, here's where your husband comes in, and here's where your wife comes in. Write that down. Write that one down, too. And don't let her just write it down, or you just write it down. Both of you write it down. Because just like telling a story, somebody's going to have a little extra than the other one. And so then you look back on a time in your life, and you go, do you remember when that happened? Now, here, here's, here's what I encourage you. If you're, I, I'm not going to talk about marriage counseling today, but since we're right here, let's stay here for a second. The next time that you can't understand why she can't put the toilet paper going over the top instead of under the... Have a little powwow meeting there in the kitchen and just for a few minutes reminisce how you met. And most of the time you'll get all that ooey gooey feeling again because you recalled back to better days. Now, for me, there's a thing that in my life that I journal and I've got it memorized so much because it's the time that Gwen and I, we took the church. And every Thanksgiving, if you've been going to our church for very long, you know that I can't have a Thanksgiving service without having time of remembering. Because at 26, I took this church and I'm so glad I was 26 because I had all the wisdom that I would ever have in my life. <laughs> when God told me to relocate the church, I thought that we would have the building sold for $50 million and buy land and build our $2 million building in less than probably about two years. Didn't happen that way. Now, I'm not going to tell you every detail, and I'm not going to tell it like I feel it. But let me tell you this. It didn't happen that way. And as I moved from putting a for sale sign and people leaving the church, we're not pioneers, Pastor. They left, and my heart grew. You know, boy, back then, I, I don't know what I do now. My threshold pain I thought was, you know, Superman. Well, it was really, you know, Mosquito Man. I don't even know if that's true, but he was... We put the church on the market for 350000 It should have sold within 30 days because that was a big building. We eventually sold it for 150000 and was glad to get it. So then when we put the church on the market, the land all over in this area had just gone through the savings and loan crisis. And if you're old enough to remember that, you could buy land for 10000 an acre. By the time we... Got a buyer, it was mostly already sold everything that was for sale and went from 10,000 to 43,560 an acre. So if you do the math, our big parcel of land went way down. God, if we could get, you know, 4,000 acres, we could have a, you know, this. 
26-year-old man. And I'm not saying if you're 26, you're like me, because I wasn't. But at the same time, I thought if something was good, we eventually went into a, a daycare, and then we moved into a school. And all the turmoil of going through and setting up every Sunday and tearing down every Sunday morning and, and meeting sometimes in houses because, you know, we, we needed a Sunday night location that we couldn't rent. Nobody would call me back when I found a real estate agent that would, you know, list land. And they said, Pastor, after a while, one of them said, Pastor, you realize that if you buy five acres in the middle of that track, it regulates what goes in around that track. So that the owners don't really want to sell to church. So I became a real estate agent. That's right. Cost about $1,000. I sit in classes because I knew that it was going to go this way. It didn't go that way. And God chose to do something different, and I realized that there is a God, and I wasn't Him. When we found, I, I mean, let me say this. When I was at what I thought was the end God said, I want you to go up and down Golden Triangle and collect all the real estate phone numbers and call them on their property. Some of them were, you know, 300,000. Some of them were 500,000. But I called this piece of property, and it was 10 acres. And at that time, the 70 acres back here was for sale, and the 112 acres just sold for $1 million to the school district of Keller, which still owns it. A million dollars? Can you imagine what it's worth now? So they sold us, and, and the real estate agent said, yeah, we'll sell it to you. We've had a lot of people want it, but it's got some floodplain on it. And, and Pastor, I'll tell you what, if you come over, we'll sell it for $220,000. I said, hold the phone. I'm starting my vehicle right now to come right now. I grabbed the board members later that week and we drove over and they said, 220000 and we'll sell you the property. We had a little lady named Ina Mae Palmer and Joe Forquer and at that time Walt Collins. And, and they said, Pastor, what if we offer 135000 That's what we got on paper. I said, do you know how hard it is to find land for 220000 Okay. We'll offer 135. So we offered him 135,000. Now this guy is Don Davis, the car dealer. Now some of you have heard his car lots and stuff. This was his private real estate agent, and he was only doing Don Davis real estate, and he was over by the Rangers, the ballpark in Arlington at that time. So he said, "Hey, he's a car dealer, but he's putting his ship in the ocean in California. We'll have to wait a week until he gets back." I said, well, my boss owns the ocean. <laughs> Called back and said, he'll take it. We bought the land. We moved in. We built this building. Or we were building the building. We got all the permits and everything except two. And the fire chief said, Pastor, I'm not going to let you build that church 
well, why don't you like me? You know, I wanted to say that. He said, because Fort Worth, you're in Fort Worth, but Keller owns all the water rights in this whole area. There was very little growth all the way up in here, all the way down to Tarrant County Parkway, because Keller owned the rights all the way up until the year 2000. And he says, I can't provide enough water protection if there was a fire on your building. I said, well, if you are our municipality, then why can't you provide the water? That sounds like a problem on your part. And some of you have heard this story. At this time, talking about despair, I went and I sat in my chair. You know what I'm talking about, man? You have a chair that's your chair. Luke, get out of my chair. That's my chair. And my thumb began to twitch. Now to you, that's kind of funny, but to me, I was one symptom away from Lou Gehrig's disease. And I can laugh about it now, but I was not laughing then. I was in despair. And I remember, as I've told a lot of you, that one several nights I couldn't sleep because of the, uh, the pressure. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night and turning on the TV and it was a commercial advertising Lou Gehrig's disease, and one of the symptoms is insomnia. What's the odds of that being on the moment I turned on the TV? There were nights after that that Gwen would just read the Bible to me to put me to sleep, just to put peace in the room. I said that there were two permit problems. The fire chief the next Monday said, out of the blue, I'm sending you a fax that says I'm releasing and it's on you, it's a responsibility. Because see, he thought there was no water in this area, but God knew. And there was a water line that just so happened that went right in front of our property for some unknown reason. They didn't even really know. The water department didn't know from Fort Worth, but Keller did. And we worked with each other, and we got the water to be able to put here. The mobile home park was building at that time, so they brought a bigger water line down that sets our water uh, fire hydrant right out here. But that was an impossibility at the moment that we're building the church. But God knew. The second one was this. Back then, it's different a little bit now. They, they call it impact fees on a road. So they determine how much a restaurant has more of an impact than a church or an office building. And so before you build a building, you have to pay this to the city so that they can build the roads. But back then, they had something different called the community facility agreement, which meant the amount of land that touches the main road that needs to be built was $100 a linear foot, which meant from your property out to the middle, you're paying half of that golden triangle improvement. They told me there's no plans to ever build that, but since you own about 1,000 feet of frontage, we're going to need $100,000 before you start. How much was the whole property? 135000 That was all we had. We're going to have to borrow everything to put this building up. 
it was a deal breaker. I'm not for sure, but I think my thumb went. And then I remembered something that I'm asking you to do. That this project wasn't John Miller's project, but it was God's. And I said, God, I can't do it. And I said, God, what am I going to do? I've got these people. I've sold their building. We've been in relocation for five years. Now listen. Sometimes he just says, go in this direction. He doesn't give you details. He told me, I want you to go down to the city hall, down there where all the different offices are, and just hang out. I'd already known a lot of these guys by name. And later, some of them are just starting that when we build Axiom and the retail are still there, but now they're in a supervisor vision, uh, position and also help us do things. And I've shared that, but I'm just going to tell you this part of the story. So I go down to the city hall and I'm just kind of hanging out. I mean, they're probably like, this is before there was a gatekeeper, you know, that you had to check in and stuff. That's probably why they made it, because I was the guy hanging out in the halls. <laughs> hey, Bob. Hey, Bill. Need something, Pastor? No. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> what do you say? Hanging out? Get out of here. So the Department of Transportation was the department that was holding us up because they said you had to pay the community facility agreement. Because my lack of knowledge in building, I'm not a contractor, but I'm acting as the contractor. So the Department of Transportation assistant director said, Pastor, I know your problem. And I was like, okay. So we step into his office and he gets the plat out where our property's going to be, just right here. And he says, what it'll do, sometimes there's an ability to take and make different lots so that you can develop them at different times. So what I would suggest is you take, I'm just going to show you as a verbal picture, from your driveway all the way down now to Axiom and make that one lot. And leave that as undeveloped. You don't have to pay that community facility agreement on literally six uh, 600 feet of property. So that that right there, that moment saved 600,000. 60,000, I'm sorry. 60,000. Then he said, if you'll do a setback, 50 feet. Do you see our green space out here that has our Easter egg hunts on Easter and all that? If you'll sit that back and just touch Golden Triangle where your exit is out here, that's roughly um, so many feet. I think it's 20-some feet. It'll cost you 10000 instead of 100000 in community facility agreement. And I went, really? So I went back to our uh, surveyor and engineer, and they drew the plans, and we submitted it. And the transportation director says, you can't do that. And at the end of it, I said, you know, we, we talked, and boy, don't you look really smart when you follow God? 
These guys have been with Jesus. Didn't they say that in Acts? So the director says, you can't do that because it's 50 feet. And I said, well, don't they build zero lot lines in these communities at 50 feet? He said, yes. He said, but you couldn't build a, a house without, you know, facing Golden Triangle, and we wouldn't let you put an entrance to that house. I said, well, what if we put an entrance off of our driveway? He knew we were never going to build a house. He knew that, but he needed a reason why. And he said, well, I guess you can. Approved. That quick, both of them were taken out of the impossible and moved into the possible. And all I had to do is allow God to be God. I had to recall that God didn't say, good luck with that building. Now this morning when we hear this event that's taking place in David's life, to realize that he's to the place where he recalls an event. Do you, do you know the event? It's when the children of Israel are at the Red Sea and they're about ready to cross but there's no way it is impossible to get across and Pharaoh's army is right behind them. And God makes a way where there is no way and a path through the water where there was no path. And in recalling that event, David is encouraged. So let me ask you this morning, what is the event that makes you and I encouraged? It happened 2,000 years ago, and we sing about it, and we sung about it again today. It's called Calvary and Jesus on the cross, but not just the cross, but when he died for you and I, that he rose again. That's the blessed assurance that we started this series off in Hebrews. It says that's why it is an anchor to our soul beyond the veil. In other words, that what we can put our hope in is not a guess, to the point where God says, you know what? I'll give you even my signature. In other words, I'll put my name on it. That's why we can hope. That's why we call it the blessed assurance of realizing that our hope is in God because of what he did on the cross for us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to it again. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations and by your strong arm, you redeem your people. In just a few minutes, we're going to have Lisa and the worship team come up and we're going to sing a song called Waymaker. And if you're in a place right now and you feel like, you know what, I'm in despair or I know that, you know, I needed this, I need to learn the discipline of remembering then we're going to sing this song and as an act of responding to this message and actually a confession out of your mouth really what a song is is you're going to say even when I don't see it even when I don't feel I know he's working and I know that he's working for my good can you sing that as the worship team comes up now this morning I want you to sing it to the volume you want unless it's at a volume so low you can't hear yourself sing. Which is really just standing there and not saying. Because in when you're confessing the goodness of God, it might take a few times, 
But there should be a happiness, a smile come over your face of realizing that our God is bigger than any kind of thing that's going on in our life. And then we can put our hope and that he's going to bring us through. And then we can build our faith off of that fact. Would you do that this morning? Would you stand with me? Father, today... Pray with me. Father, today, God, as we confess out of our mouth that the goodness that you have given us in the past, that God, that we will not stay in the past, but God, the caution is that we realize and we do not doubt that you can do it again or that you will do it again. But God, that you are working 